Hey there, travelers. I'm Isabella. I'm Riley. I'm Angelica. And this is True Crime International. So, Isabella, where are you taking us today? Our first case brings us to the country that I now call home, Spain. This case deals quite heavily with domestic violence, so if that's triggering for any of you out there, you really should not listen to this episode. It's really, really rough. So this is the case of Ana Orantes. She was born on February 6th, 1937, in the very midst of the Spanish Civil War. Now, in order to understand the full impact of this case, we need to give you some historical context. I imagine many of you may be thinking, wait, Spain had a civil war? Or, oh yeah, I forgot they had a civil war and that's why they weren't in World War II. Spain's civil war raged from 1936 to 1935 and over 1 million people were killed or 1939. What did I say? 1935. Fuck. Oh, shit. Okay, so they went back a year? (laughs) The war that went back in time. Spain's civil war raged from 1936 to 1939, and over one million people were killed or went missing in that time. The details of the war aren't important for today's story, but the outcome of the war is. The war ended when the fascists won and their leader, Francisco Franco, took over as the country's dictator. This was a man who was friends with the likes of Mussolini, Stalin, and Hitler, so I don't think I need to paint a clear picture to you of what he was like. His goal with his dictatorship was to, quote-unquote, return Spain to its traditional Roman Catholic values. Essentially, he wanted to disguise oppression as religion. A lot of people suffered under Franco's rule, but women in particular had it really rough. Franco believed that women should stay in the home, have babies, cook and clean. To him and those who thought like him, women were at best useless and at worst dangerous. Because of this jackass, women basically had no rights. Abortion and contraception were illegal. It was illegal to get a divorce. And a woman needed her husband's permission in order to do anything, like get a job. At the beginning of Franco's regime, a lot of women were pushed out of jobs they had before the Civil War, and those jobs were given to men, because, of course. In the 1960s, laws barring women from working began to be relaxed, but still that was because of a labor shortage. To top it off, divorce didn't become legal until 1981. Basically, there were all sorts of laws dictating what women could and could not do, but not a one actually helped women, which, ugh. Most notably, there were no laws which helped women in cases of domestic violence. Domestic abuse of every kind was rampant in Franco Spain, and it was a kind of silent devil for Spanish women. It was something everyone knew was happening, but no one talked about. Women had absolutely no protection from their abusers. There was no one to help them, because to help a woman running from domestic violence was to go against the regime. And so with all of that information in our heads of just how shit it was for women in Spain in the 20th century, we begin today's case. Ana Orantes was born in Granada, which is in the south of Spain. She was the third of six children, and her family was very traditional. 
Her father worked in construction and her mother in a candy store, so her mum had permission to work. But growing up in the wake of the Spanish Civil War when the economy was in complete shambles, Anna had few opportunities in life, and she had to leave school at the age of nine to help her family by working as a seamstress. Can you imagine? Nine. Nine. Like, nine. I, like, nine. I barely know how to tie my shoes at nine. <laughs> a seamstress? I can't even sew now. <laughs> Every time I sew, like, I, I had one of those um, masks that the elastic went, like, over and under on the head instead of around the mm-hmm. ears. And yeah. so I cut the elastic and sewed it so that way it could go over my ears because that's so much more comfortable. Uh, and it like just that simple sewing job took me like two hours. I had to keep starting over. Why didn't you, why didn't you just tie it? <laughs> well, because it would have un- become untied and I wanted to be able to wash it and not have to like constantly retie it. True, I didn't true, want true, the elastic true. to come out of the mask and because it's annoying to get it back in. It was worth it to sew it, but it was really fucking annoying. Pandemic life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Gross. But our story really begins when Anna was 19. She went to a local celebration with a friend in Granada, and that's where she met José Parejo Avivar, the man who would become her husband and abuser. Now, I, I got to say, um, this man shares the same name as my boyfriend, so we cannot call him José because I will never be able to say my boyfriend's name ever again. So instead, we're going to be referring to him as Parejo in this, in this episode. And Jose is like the sweetest man ever. And to use the same name for both of them, it's just not right. We've never no, met the not. guy. It's not right. But he's super yeah. nice, I promise. Yeah, he's, he's, <laughs> One day he's I'll an absolute him. sweetheart. I got to bring him to Michigan. Yes. Yeah, you definitely I will do. one day. One day when there's no pandemic. <laughs> he, has a, he has a passport now so he can travel. Yeah, if, if people from the U.S. are ever allowed to travel to places and people are ever allowed to come to the U.S. again. Yeah. Crazy thing about uh, getting a passport here, because you know how in the U.S. when we get a passport, you have to go to the post office and you fill out a bunch of forms and you give them money and your picture and then the passport shows up in the mail like six to eight weeks later. Mm-hmm. Here you go to all of that. Like you, you take all of that to the police station or whatever, to the town hall, and uh, they just do it for you right there. Like they make you the passport right there and you leave with it. See, that would be so nice because I had to get a new passport this year and I went in February to get my passport and it did not show up in the mail until July. (laughs) Holy shit. (laughs) And the trip I was supposed to go on was in May. So it's a good thing that I couldn't go on the trip. That would have been probably a bigger bummer than the whole pandemic is if you couldn't because you were supposed to come visit me. Yeah. It would have been so much harder if like you you had lost your passport or like know, if it hadn't right? if it hadn't arrived. Also, um I didn't even realize that my passport was expired when I was planning to take that trip, so I guess it's a good thing. Blessings in disguise. Mm, I found yeah. out I found, I found out my passport was expired when I tried to go to Canada <laughs> and at the border he said your passport expired 3 days ago. <laughs> Whoops. It's good times. <laughs> Did they let you in? Yeah, they still let me in. It's Canada. Oh, yeah, it's Canada. I love Canada. Oh, Canada's the best. I've never been. You've never <laughs> been to Canada? No. The border is an hour from your house. Uh, yeah. Um, Not even an hour. Haven't, no. haven't been. Need to go. Would like to go. Should go. Okay. When you can. Legally, when you're allowed to again. Anyway, Continue. back to the story. 
Young Anna was very taken with Parejo, who was he was just two years older than her. And she said that they it was like infatuation at first sight and they danced together through the night at the festival like they were boyfriend and girlfriend. And soon after, that's exactly what they became. But their courtship was extremely short because just three months after they met, they got engaged. And they got engaged because Parejo told Anna that he would spread rumors about her if she didn't marry him. Oh, God, that's like that's like the biggest red flag, right? Like, like, that's like the most scarlet colored flag (laughs) I've ever heard in my life. (laughs) We have to remember the time like she was she was she was being told through her whole life that her whole like reason for existence was to get married. So she was like, "Okay, yeah, pretty much. And at this point, he wasn't being physically abusive. So maybe she thought like, oh, he has a temper, but at least he hasn't hit me. Abuse is not just physical. Let me let me put that out there. No, it's not. But maybe that was sort of her thought process. Or I mean, she was 19 and in love for the first time. We remember what that's like. It's regrettably, I remember what that's like. (laughs) You don't you don't make the the wisest decisions when you're that age and and in love for the first time. So I I see. I see it. I I know where you're coming from, Anna. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But even though she was doing what was expected of her, quote unquote, her family wasn't at all happy about the engagement or the marriage. And she said that when they told her father about their engagement, he cried like a child and told Parejo that in marrying his daughter, he was taking the sunshine from his house. Oh my God, that's so sad. Doesn't that break your heart? Yeah, like literally breaks my heart. But also it's cute. Like that he sees her. It's cute, but it's like but he was saying it in in a sad way where like he didn't want her to go mm-hmm. whereas like like because he didn't want her to marry him but like if like one of us was getting married and our parents loved the guy my dad was like you're the sunshine in my house but it'd be cute but this is yeah. just heartbreaking mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah anna and parejo got married in 1956 with only the blessing of parejo's parents after the wedding the couple moved in with his mom and dad, and Anna stayed there while Parejo went to serve in the military. And it was when he returned that the physical abuse started. She recounted in detail the first time Parejo ever hit her. She had walked half an hour from her in-law's house to her mother's house to wash some sheets. When she returned, her husband asked her where she'd been. She told him, but he didn't believe her, so he slapped her across the face. She screamed loudly because of the pain and the shock and her father-in-law came out to see what was going on. Anna told him that his son had hit her, and she didn't know why. Parejo's father then hit him, angry that his son would attack his own wife. But when Parejo's mother came out to see what was going on, she told her husband to stop hitting Parejo, that what happens in a marriage is between a husband and wife, whether he kisses her or hits her, that's his prerogative. No, it's not. Anna, no, it's not. (laughs) Anna, who was still in shock and who was confused about why she had been hit at all, apologized to Parejo, and he responded by spitting in her face. Also, like, if you were going to make up a lie, why would it be that you were washing some sheets? And she had the sheets with her. (laughs) Yeah, like, clean sheets. (laughs) If I was going to make up a lie, I'd be like, oh, I was somewhere else like with a friend not like i was washing some sheets that's so mm-hmm. specific that's the most specific lie i've ever heard yeah 
But see, the thing is, Parejo didn't care. So that thing, that like that slap kicked off their 40-year marriage. Parejo would beat Anna for anything he felt like. He always found an excuse to start an argument. Why was the food too hot? Why was the food too cold? Why is that glass upside down? Why did she move the chair? He would get upset if a man looked at her, like any man. If she was inside and opened a window and a man who happened to be down on the street looked up at her, Parejo would ask her why that man was looking at her, would accuse her of cheating, and then he would beat her. Honestly, this is so sad. Mm-hmm. Because oh, we haven't gotten to the worst parts. Oh my gosh. It like breaks my heart. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, just because just I know on. how she feels. Mm-hmm. The beatings were most common and were worse when Parejo would come home. He had a habit of going out with his friends after work and getting drunk and playing cards with them. He would come home and find any excuse to hit Anna, as we already discussed. And the beatings ranged. Sometimes he would hit her with his hands. Sometimes he would hit her with a stick or the chair. Sometimes he would grab her by the hair and throw her against the wall. Sometimes he would choke her. Just, I guess, depended on his mood or whatever arbitrary line she had crossed. Throughout their marriage, they had a total of 11 children, three of whom died. And though the reasons are not public, we can assume that Parejo did not kill them, as Anna never accused him of doing so. And as we'll learn later, she had no problem accusing her husband of her of his wrongdoings. And and at that time, um, like infant mortality rate was definitely a lot higher than it is now. Oh yeah. And and kids died in childbirth and, you know, from a fever. So Oh yeah, definitely. I think it's not it's not as out there as a lot of people would think it is. No, it's definitely not. And especially, yeah, they would they were having kids in, you know, the 60s and 70s. And back then, Spain still wasn't in a good spot following the Civil War. Like, Spain didn't really start coming back until after the dictator died in 1975. Mm-hmm. So they still would have had a pretty poor economic position. And, you know, there are a lot of things that could have contributed to the kids' deaths. We don't know why they died, but I just wanted to make it clear that we 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 can't uh, accuse Parejo of killing him. There's absolutely no evidence of that. Um, is there? I don't know if you're going to talk about this later on, but did he abuse his children as well as Anna? Or was let's it get into that. Against- okay, cool. Let's get into that. So, though he did not kill his children, I don't want to make him seem like a good father because he was not. And I mean, not killing your children is not even the bare minimum. <laughs> That's he was- like the lowest bar there is. <laughs> It cannot get low. I think it's like it's 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 a bar that's buried. Literally. <laughs> but he was he was still a horrible father. His children lived in fear of him. A few years ago, one of the children who's an adult now went on a television show here in Spain and gave an interview, and he told the interviewer how they all lived in fear of him. Parejo saw his children as objects and literally nothing more. They were just expenses to him. If they wanted to do their homework at night, they would have to put a towel under the bedroom door so he wouldn't see the light because they weren't allowed to use lights without permission. And apparently homework's not a good enough reason to use lights. Were they, were they like tight on money? Like why couldn't they use lights? I mean, I feel like probably with that many mouths to feed and considering the economic position and the fact that only Parejo was working, um, Anna wasn't allowed to work, clearly. Yeah, clearly. <laughs> 
Okay, um, sorry. I was just wondering because that just seems like as as a strict parent, you would think that homework's like one of the things that he's like, you better do this. Mm-hmm. But apparently it was not like that. I don't think he gave two shits about his kids' grades, though. He just cared about money. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Well, it doesn't make sense, but with him. Well, yeah, it doesn't make sense, <laughs> yeah. but it makes sense given the context. Yeah. Yeah. Parejo's son also accused his father of regularly screaming at them and beating them. Parejo even broke his son's arm once and told everyone that, oh, he fell off his bike. Oh, that's so sad. But that wasn't even the worst of his crimes. One night, one of Anna's daughters, who was only 10, told her mother that Parejo had touched her inappropriately under the table while the family ate together. Furious, Anna confronted Parejo about it. He accused the daughter of making it all up, and then he beat Anna and warned her not to tell the authorities. Scared for her mother, the daughter never said anything about it again. Whether it had continued or not, she, didn't, she did not say a word. But I feel like we can probably assume that it did because she got married at the age of 14 in order to escape the house, in order 14? to escape her father. 14. Oh my gosh. Were they, was she still in school or did she stop going to school? I don't know. That's the only information we have on it. But Anna was heartbroken about it. She didn't want her daughter to get married at 14. What, what parent yeah. would? But she also... Especially, especially with the, the experience that she had getting married at 19. Mm-hmm. And she was heartbroken about it, but she also didn't blame her daughter for it at all. Mm-hmm. But things were so bad in that house that the youngest child even tried to commit suicide. So there's that. Like, your house is not stable if your daughter's getting married at 14 and your youngest is trying to commit suicide. Because imagine coming into that house, you're the youngest of yeah. eight living children, and all you ever know is pain because your father beats your mother and beats everyone in the house. Like, And and back then, I I don't think... Well, I, it's not that I don't think. I know that mental health just was not taken as seriously. No. And especially in cases like this, there's there's almost no chance that mental health is not a factor in these kids' lives. Oh, definitely. Anna also told the story of one time when she took her eight-year-old son to the doctor and then to the pharmacy to pick up his medicine. Very routine sort of thing. When they were walking home, a neighbor stopped Anna and told her to be ready because her husband had been looking for her and he was enraged. And sure enough, when they walked in the door, there was Parejo with all the children, and he was fucking pissed. He accused Anna of cheating, of using their son as a cover so she could go out and be unfaithful, and then he beat her bloody in front of all the children. All she did was take him to the doctor's office. Yeah. And to get and medicine for him. Yeah. How's she gonna how can you fake going to the pharmacy? You come home with the drugs. That's the thing though, is he 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 genuinely didn't care. I don't even think he fully believed that she was cheating. He just wanted any reason to beat her even if he had to make it up didn't matter but Parejo's violence towards his family really wasn't a secret I mean think about the neighbor warning her like the neighbor must know right yeah oh well the neighbor can probably hear with the amount of stuff that he does and says to her I'm sure the walls aren't that thick and if they live you said they live in a place where she opens the window a person on the street can look up at her I'm sure they share walls with other people yeah, definitely. On another occasion, while at a big festival in Granada, 
Anna danced with Parejo's cousin, and he was so furious with her that on the way home, he beat her until she was unconscious in the street for all to see. Did he leave her there? I don't know. I don't know. But he beat her unconscious in the middle of the street. And like festivals in Spain and in a city like Granada, which is huge. Mm -hmm. Well, it's at least big, bigger than where I live. There are going to be people everywhere, everywhere. So many people. Yeah. Like even if you're walking home and you live maybe like, you know, on a side street or whatever, there's still going to be people around. And it's heartbreaking that like people saw these things and didn't try and stop them. Mm -hmm. Because we're going to talk about that a little time that it was. Okay, Mm -hmm. continue. And if the physical violence wasn't enough, he was also a psychological and emotional abuser. Parejo tried to keep Anna from seeing her friends and family. She couldn't go to her siblings' weddings, and she had to visit her mother in secret. And if Parejo found out, he would accuse her of lying, and he would beat her. There's a pattern here, I'm sure you can see. Oh, yeah. He he also told Anna that she couldn't do anything but work in the house because she was stupid, and she was too illiterate to even speak. Wonderful human. Incredible. Mm Mm-hmm. Honestly, at that point, I wouldn't even want to speak. No. Because everything you, everything that comes out of your mouth is the, is the wrong thing. Everything that you say is going to get you beat. So why yeah, say anything Yeah, it just depends on what mood he's in. Yeah, seriously. Now, if you're thinking, well, why didn't she go to the police? She fucking did. Over the four decades she was married, she tried to get help from the police 15 times, but no one would help her. She was always told that getting hit was just... Normal family stuff. Normal family not, stuff. That's not. Let thing, me tell you right now, it's not. <laughs> that's the thing about Spain at this time is violence in the home was completely normalized. Like there was nowhere for anyone to go because if you complain about, you know, your husband or father hitting you, you know, everyone's just like, well, that's just how it is. That's how families, that's how you discipline children. That's how you keep everyone in line. It was, it was so normalized. Like no one could see that it was a problem. Yeah, and if if women aren't working, then the chance of them getting a job where they can make a living wage and take care of children on their own Mm -hmm. is so low, let alone the social stigma that comes along with divorce at that time. Leaving just like for so, so many women just wasn't an option. Exactly. And there existed this culture of machismo, which today we would just call toxic masculinity. And it was a strong belief that men had to be strong, had to support their families, and had to keep everyone in line because the women were too weak to do so. Which, women are not weak, is not true. Anna is proof. I'm just, I am I hate when people say women are weak. That's it's awful. stigma, yeah. Um, and women obviously hated this because it made them out to be victims and took away their agency. Women's rights started to grow by the 1970s, and especially after Franco's death in 1975. Feminist groups were legally allowed to exist for the first time, and they gained a lot of traction, which we love to see. And they fought for women's right to contraception, to work without permission, and most importantly for our story today, to divorce. When divorce was finally legalized in Spain in 1981, Anna immediately tried to divorce Parejo, but she was rejected. She kept trying, 
but wasn't actually able to get a divorce from Perejo until 1996. Okay, I have a question. Why, like, if if divorce is legalized, Mm -hmm. how do they just reject it? That's the thing, though. Just because it was legalized and feminist groups were gaining a lot of traction, that doesn't mean the attitudes had changed. And I don't know all the details as to why they rejected her requests for divorce. But you can only imagine, like, what, what, what do people say now? Where's your proof? Where are your pictures? Where are the people who have seen the bruises that can testify? Like, Yeah, like you, I, you probably really needed like solid evidence mm-hmm. to get a divorce. It just, I mean, in the time that we live in now, it's just so crazy that you could just be like denied a divorce after you have proof that you've gone to the police 15 times for this man because he's But I don't know that she, I don't know that she had proof because they never helped her. They never opened a case. They just told her to go home. So there was really no trail of this. It was her word against his. Also, even if she had proof, who knows if they would have taken it because they saw her as a woman, like a weak woman. That's Mm -hmm. yeah. She's a person who left school when she was nine, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's a good chance that she couldn't properly read the divorce papers because the language in, you know, legal papers is much more sophisticated. She left school when she was nine. She had a husband who didn't want her doing anything and who always told her she was illiterate and stupid. Like, I, I don't think she was probably a very good reader and that probably didn't help her case. And why? And that's why she couldn't get a divorce until 1996, which just blows my mind. Like, 1996 is the year Angelica and I were born. Yeah, that was like less than 30 years ago. It was like less than 25 years ago. Mm-hmm. Oh, and it doesn't stop there. The story is not even close to being finished. Because even though she was finally allowed a legal separation from the man who abused her for 40 years, she was not able to physically separate from him. Because as part of the divorce settlement, Anna was told she would have to continue living in the same residence as Parejo. They had a two-story house, and so they converted it. So the bottom level was an apartment, and the top level was an apartment. And so Parejo lived on the bottom, and Anna lived on the top. Now, I read conflicting reports, so I'm not entirely sure, but it was either um, they were ready to give Anna the house and she saw how much Parejo didn't want to leave and she kind of felt bad and allowed for the option for them to divide the house. Uh, But there was another report that said that she, or sorry, that the justice of the peace uh, wanted to mediate between them and wanted them to find middle ground and so had them still live together. But either way, she was stuck in the same house. Which is not much better than where she was before because he still had the ability to watch what she was doing and police what she was doing, which in itself is terrifying. Exactly. So she lived upstairs with two of her children and one of her grandchildren. And during this time, Parejo met another woman and was frequently absent from the apartment below. Which, how? Like, who would be with that man? I know, right? Especially, like, I'm sure a lot of people in the town knew who he was and knew what he was doing Mm -hmm. because he publicly beat his wife in the streets. He's also an emotional manipulator, so I'm sure he could have easily manipulated another woman like Anna. Oh, yeah. And especially especially if that woman had 
fell very victim to the mindset of like, well, that's just how it is in a marriage, you know, mm-hmm. like men are allowed to do that to their wives, which they're very much not. Yeah, definitely. But when he was around, there was no change in him at all. He's still still the same charming fellow. He would scream at them. He would threaten them. He would humiliate them. And Anna and her children, they were not happy living there. They tried to get their own apartment somewhere else, but they were unable to do so. Like I, they, what I read said that they uh, like failed in the negotiation. So I'm not sure if it was like a money thing or they gave the apartment to someone else. But at the end of the day, they were stuck with a monster living below them. And I can't imagine. I really can't. And as I'm sure all of you can probably believe, at this point, Anna was fed up. She was fucking fed up. And she wanted the world to know the hell that she had gone through over the past 40 years. And not only did she want people to know, she wanted to help other women who had suffered like she had and to let them know that they weren't alone. So on December 4th, 1997, Anna went on an Andalusian talk show where she was interviewed about her experience as a domestic violence victim for 40 minutes. For 40 minutes, she laid out everything she had gone through and she held nothing back. And the audience sat in stunned silence as she spoke. And I just, the bravery it took for her to do that. Because oh, she, yeah. was no, she was no idiot. She knew that there was a big risk in going on that talk show. Because of course he was going to see it. Of course he was going to know about it. And he still lived below her. Exactly. Exactly. But amazingly... Even after telling her horrific story and making it very clear that she was living in the same house as her abuser, she was offered no help, no protection at all. She, if she had been offered protection, I think it's safe to say that what happened to Anna just 13 days after would have been avoided. Absolutely. I agree. And it's just so heartbreaking because she was doing... I mean, what I would consider is the right thing Mm -hmm. by letting other women know that they don't have to suffer through that. Like they have a choice. Mm -hmm. But then it turned out that she essentially didn't. Mm -hmm. Parejo had seen the interview. I don't think I need to tell you how he felt about it. On December 17th, 1997... Parejo gave Anna the beating of a lifetime in her apartment. He then tied her to a chair, threw her over the balcony, and then, while she was still very much alive, he poured gasoline over her and lit her on fire. And then just left her there. That's honestly so sad that I I could cry thinking about that. She was 60 years old. You want to cry? If that crime was not bad enough, Anna's granddaughter who was just 12 at the time, was the one who found her body when she came home from school, and she was the one who alerted the authorities. 12. Wait, I have a question. Yeah. So you said um, you said he threw her over the balcony, mm-hmm. like in the back of the house? Uh, so I think it was the side. I saw a picture of the house, and I think it was the side, like the balcony was on the side of the house. So it wasn't really like that visible to the public? No, and in the pictures you can see like this – I mean, they would have been able to see the fire, but I don't know that they would have thought it was anything other than someone just like burning leaves. But also, I don't understand maybe like the smell. Yeah. 
Yeah. I don't know. Maybe it was, maybe the city I mean, didn't smell very great to begin with. Or maybe it was the gasoline or maybe just like everyone yeah. was at work because she was discovered by her granddaughter on her way home from school. So if True. most people are at work, I mean, I have to imagine that maybe Parejo at this time is maybe retired. He was 62. So yeah, I, I, I just, I just don't know. But it was it was the granddaughter that found her, and I can't imagine. I, Must I just have scarred her for life. Definitely, I couldn't get that image out of my head. Mm -mm. Anna was the 59th woman killed by a spouse or ex-spouse in Spain in 1997 alone. That averages to more than one killing a week. Parejo was arrested, tried, and sentenced to just 17 years in prison. He would live the rest in his life behind bars, however, because he suffered from a heart attack while in prison in 2004 and died. None of his children attended his funeral. But they did attend Anna's funeral. In fact, a lot of people attended Anna's funeral. Her death absolutely stunned the nation, and there was a national outcry for Anna, for the victims of domestic violence, and for women's rights in general. People took to the streets all over Spain and all the major cities to demand change for the from the country's leaders. And that like, gave me goosebumps. <laughs> her, like she, thinking she, about how it just like started like an uproar actually mm -hmm. gave me goosebumps. So you can actually find the interview that she did on, t on TV. It's on YouTube. Um, so there are no, I didn't find any with English subtitles. Um, so you can only really watch it if you speak Spanish. And if you do watch it and you're a Spanish speaker, just be warned, she has the thickest Andalusian accent. I could, I really could not understand her. <laughs> um, but at the beginning of the interview, uh, or the beginning of the show, rather, the interviewer uh, gives the disclaimer that the interview gonna, that they're going to show was filmed two weeks prior and that Anna was killed by her husband. So they re-aired it. And I think they, when they re-aired it, they aired it to the nation. Because That's before so it was sad. just in Andalusia, which is the a region in the south of Spain. But after everything yeah. happened, they aired it nationwide, I believe. I'm glad that they did that. Mm -hmm. Oh, I mean, it. her death really, it started the conversation that really needed to happen in Spain. Because mm -hmm. what happened to Anna is horrible and is definitely an extreme, but it's definitely not an isolated incident. Oh, not at all. Not even just in Spain, you know, no. all over the world. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, in 1997, Spain was under the control of a conservative cabinet. And the prime minister at the time, José María Aznar, said that change was not needed. He said that what happened to Anna was horrible and unfortunate, but it was an isolated incident and it was not indicative of a much larger problem. And so change was unnecessary. The Jose's in this episode dude. really <laughs> fucking suck. Yeah. <laughs> they really suck. You got a good Jose. Thank goodness. I yeah. do. I do. I have, I have a very good one. At this point, the opinions of the politicians didn't even matter so much. Anna's death sparked the national conversation that was needed for change. And though change didn't come immediately, it did come. In 2004, Spain, now under a socialist government, passed a law addressing gender violence, which was considered to be one of the most advanced in all of Europe at the time. The law set up courts that specifically dealt with cases of gender violence, created a toll-free number for women to call to report abuse, making it easier to do so than ever before. 
And it also made it harder for abusers to get in contact with their victims, as well as tightened the sentencing rules for the abusers. The law is still in place, though it's received a lot of criticism from both right-wing groups and left-wing groups. In fact, it's actually been challenged in court 200 times since 2004. 200 times. A lot of the right-wing groups say that it discriminates against men and therefore it should be repealed. And a lot of people from the left love the law but say it should be amended in order to protect uh, gay couples as well, which, fair enough, in support. I like it. Oh, yeah. And I mean, I think it should cover men who are victims of domestic violence as well. I think it's important not to leave them out of it because you said um, it received criticism because it was like went against men. And I was like, well, yeah, but (laughs) yeah, I thought you meant it the other way. And I was like, well, I hope they're protected from it too. Yeah. I'm not entirely sure. Um, And I, I mean, if it's receiving this criticism, I have to assume that it, it, doesn't. Whatever your opinion on the law, there is no doubt that Anna achieved her goal by going on that talk show. She helped other victims of domestic violence. A medicine professor at the University of Granada said that Ana Orantes marked a before and after in Spain when it came to the topic of domestic and gender violence, both in legislation and public discourse. Anna's death was completely avoidable. It was a tragedy and one that should never have happened. But there's no denying that her death changed Spain and helped countless women be able to leave their abusers and find safety. She truly became a domestic violence martyr. And that's the story of Ana Orantes. What an incredible woman. Yeah, I know. She is truly an incredible woman. I think she knew full well, full well? I think she knew full well the risk of going on the talk show. I think she knew that there was a chance that if she couldn't get the help she clearly needed, that he was going to kill her. But I think she reached a point where she just didn't care anymore. Yeah. And she because cared I also I also victims. think I also think that she hoped that if something did happen to her after she went on the talk show, that it would be so public that people might not have a choice but to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what happened. Yeah. And I'm so I don't want to say I'm so glad that it did, but I'm glad that it sparked the out- the uproar that it did. That's the thing. Because like, it was super needed. Oh, absolutely. That's the thing, though. Like, Spanish people love their traditions and love their culture, and they don't always uh, like change. And so I think as unfortunate as it is and what a huge tragedy it is, and I can't imagine dying by being fucking burned alive. I think it was really what that shock was what was needed in order to open up that discourse in Spain. Yes. Yeah. Because otherwise people wouldn't have listened. And also having a 40 minute interview of a woman explaining all of the abuse she suffered for 40 years, that is such an incredible piece of evidence. And like you can watch it and you can see her and you can connect with her and like watching it and knowing what happens to her, it just makes it so much more impactful. And I think heartbreaking. the combination of all those things, her horrible, brutal death, as well as having that interview, just lended itself to the absolute uproar in Spain. Because when Spanish people are pissed, you know it. <laughs> they are not quiet about it. Not at all. And I just want to say that feminism in Spain has come such a long way 
in such a short amount of time. Think about everything we talked about at the beginning of this episode with, you know, all the laws, you know, there was no divorce, no contraception, no abortion, women couldn't work without permission from their husbands, blah, 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 blah. I mean, now women have a ton of rights and feminism is a huge movement here. I would say it's even bigger than it is in the US in that like here, International Women's Day is massive. It is huge. Like uh, every a lot of shops have um, International Women's Day stickers on them and then people hang the purple flags with the female symbol on it from their houses. They are Those flags are hung from government buildings. And this year in 2020, um, there's always a Women's March in Madrid on International Women's Day. And this year uh, with the coronavirus, uh, the prime minister was told not to have it. He was told to cancel it. And he was like, I can't cancel the, the Women's March. I'll never get reelected. So he had the Women's March and it definitely contributed to the huge spike in coronavirus cases. So I don't think he's getting reelected anyway, but that's beside the yeah, point. Yeah, I commend him for that sentiment, but I think maybe he could have postponed it. <laughs> I mean, it was March. It was, it was definitely a special him, circumstance. But, yeah. Yeah. I, he didn't take it seriously at the time. I'm sure if it was something that was supposed to be happening in like April, he definitely would have canceled it. But this was like the beginning of March and it was before shit got really serious here. True, true. But you, I'd say that Spain did pretty well with the uh, the lockdown and the... Uh, <laughs> Better than America. Control. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we can't get into all of that. We got to end <laughs> no. this episode. Bad no. idea. Yeah. So yeah, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at TrueCrimeINTL. We post pictures from our cases there. Uh, also some personal stuff about us if you are curious. If not, that's fine. You could ignore those posts. Uh, you can also follow us on Facebook. We have a Facebook group, just True Crime International. Uh, and you can discuss these cases with us there. We love to talk to you guys about it. So give us a follow. Well, travelers, this has been True Crime International, and we hope you've enjoyed your stay.